Welcome back to the Registry R Roundup for this week, Monday, the 25th of May. We hope you've had a good week. We hope you've had a safe week and you enjoyed our interview with Mark Jem last week. If not, do go back and uh, visit the archives. This is our eighth episode, if you can believe that. It's been eight episodes in lockdown of uh, remote recording trade repository news and views from your top trade repository team. And joining us this week, as always, in no particular order, we have Head of Business Development and, of course, the voice of reason, Nicholas Bruce. Hello there. And Barbara Ruiz Alonso, who is Head of Client Services. Hi, hello, everyone. And last but never least, Acting Chief Operations Officer for the UK and Head of Product, John Kernan. Good morning, everybody. And I'm Andrew Walker, and I'm a freelance writer, and I'm interested in data, regulations, technology, fintech, and all kinds of things like that. But before we get on to this week's market news, uh, discussing the wind down of CME and getting on to the updates on our SFTR platform and also looking at John's Brexit update, uh, this is the Financial Services Podcast and anything could happen in the next 15 minutes. So here's a disclaimer, which we've set to some smooth Brazilian samba. This podcast is sponsored by Registr and features members of the Registr team offering their personal opinions. It is not intended to be taken as any form of legal, tax or other professional advice and there is no representation made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information within it, nor does it necessarily reflect the opinions of Registr as an organisation. Okay, so before we get started, uh, this is a news roundup and no roundup would be complete without a Brexit intervention, <laughs> as, we're, as we're calling it now. So, John, what's this week's Brexit intervention? On the 19th of May, the UK government published a draft legal document setting out its approach to the negotiations on a future relationship with the EU, which had previously only been shared amongst negotiators. They also cover a draft free trade agreement, which includes provisions for far-reaching cross-border market access for financial services. After last week's third round of uneventful EU-UK negotiations, and in parallel to the publication of the draft documents, UK Chief Negotiator David Frost accused the EU of demanding a low-quality trade agreement and criticised the proposed obligations on state aid and fishery in a letter. Whilst the arguments are not new, the language in the letter reinforces the distance between both sides ahead of the fourth round of talks and the high-level conference in June. So all of the rhetoric coming out of both institutions uh, doesn't uh, doesn't sound overwhelmingly positive. And, you know, we can only hope that this is, uh, you know, brinkmanship and, 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 and grandstanding and that, uh, you know, things will work out uh, in the end. All right, so here's one thing, though. Uh, and Nick, I know you've got opinions on this, is um, we say it's Brexit news every week, uh, but... The thing is about Brexit is there's never really any Brexit news week on week, is there? Because, you know, it, it's very hard to work out what's actually news and what isn't, right? Uh, yeah, like, you know, I'm quite vocal on this, probably offline, so not so much on the podcast. With the Brexit news, we get these updates. Um, but really, it's what's the substance of them. For me, I find it really hard at the moment to distinguish what are real points and actually... What really are the hard stances that are being raised just as part of the negotiation? So we always know that as part of a negotiation, people are going to go to the extreme to meet in the middle and they all have their red lines for the negotiation. And I think the frustration at the moment is we just don't really know where those lines are drawn. 
Um, so, you know, it, it just is. It's frustrating, I think, for everyone, you know, even me sitting in the UK, you know, as a UK worker, born in the UK, I'm still frustrated by this. Yeah, I thought, to be honest, I thought I'd get pelters uh, for my uh, comments last week, but uh, the feedback was uh, was very encouraging. So thanks, guys. It's good to know you care. Well, there has been um, has been some good feedback as well, hasn't there, on the podcast this week? Yeah, Andrew, we got some really great feedback this week. So thanks to Tony Holland. He's the SME e-commerce technical analyst at MUFG Security Services. And Tony wrote, John, the podcasts are excellent. I do loads of walking. After a while, can only read so much. Really enjoying it. Great idea. That's that's great, Tony. Thanks. Uh, I enjoyed this feedback on two fronts. I mean, one, one Tony is an SME in e-commerce, uh, and that means he's clearly an authority on all things e-commerce, so fine praise indeed. And two, he enjoys listening to the podcast whilst doing loads of walking, and that means, technically speaking, I'm also doing some walking by proxy. You are virtual doing virtual exercise, and that is a step towards, you know, potentially even doing full exercise, which, you know, I don't think people realise the medical benefits of doing this podcast. I don't know about you, personally, I'm about to get on the scales as soon as we finish just to see how much weight I've lost. I'm with you on that. I, I think someone has been listening to this podcast in the gym as well because I've noticed uh, that I've toned up very nicely on my uh, lats, uh, triceps and biceps. So it's someone doing an upper body workout uh, wow. out there. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to start calling you Arnie going forward. It's It's true. It's true. And on that front, I'll be back. No, I'm, I am back, actually. Oh, you did. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. The big news, of course, this week is that CME have um, decided to wind down their operations in the UK and Europe and uh, sort of exit the trade repository space. And in a way, this is, you know, sad news because we know the uh, people there. And obviously, it's a small industry and uh, people have good friends there. So we wish them all the best. But at the same time, it's um, a bit of a reflection of, of the, the challenges of operating in uh, the trade repository space, which is, is quite a complex market. John? Yeah, that, um, that's right. And actually, it's more than CME. The comment from CME spokesperson um, notes the decision to wind down was made following an evaluation of our business portfolio after the acquisition of Next Group in November 2018, which determined it no longer aligns with the strategic direction of CME Group. And I guess the acquisition of the Next Group is kind of where it gets complex. So originally, in November 2013, you had 40 hours authorised for EMIR by ESMA, and then a further two subsequently um, were approved. So CME were in that initial group of six, if you like. Um, Nexabide um, then applied themselves uh, for a trade repository licence, which took them, um, as you'd expect, some time to do, as indeed it did us. Uh, and also, in parallel, you had Bloomberg, um, which is um, interesting that Bloomberg also applied for an EMEA TR licence, although Bloomberg revoked their licence really before going operationally live. So then you, you had seven, um, seven trade repositories um, in the EMEA space. Now, when CME acquired the Next Group in 2018, they acquired, um, obviously, Next Abide, uh, trade repository. So actually, it's not just the CME trade repository that's pulling out the European space that we're interested in, particularly here. Um, it's also Next Abide. So, you know, you had a situation where you had eight 
uh, trade repositories in the EMEA space, and now there are five. So, so Nick, I mean, you're head of business development. What's the, um, what is it about the TR landscape that makes it a difficult place to operate sometimes? Uh, look, it's a great question, Andrew, and I suppose what I can give you is I can give you sort of my viewpoint, actually, as someone who's come into the TR world, I'd say, relatively recently. So I moved across to Regis um, in September. I mean, when you look at the landscape of the TR world, first thing I'd say is it's, look, it is a hard marketplace. It's a very, what I'd say, prescribed scope of services. It's dictated by the regulators, by ESMA. So as a result, you'd say it's largely commoditized. The business itself is marginal, you know, but, and I think this is where the real challenge is, there is a huge cost of investment. We have to invest to be able to service the new regulations, so SFTR, but also to update the existing regulations, which you're seeing with a mere refit. So there is a huge cost layer. And on a standalone basis, when you look at that, I think naturally that puts pressures on business. And I think you're always going to see natural consolidation. You've seen it in other areas like custody. And I think when you look just purely from a Regis point of view, I think it works within Regis because of the fact that we've got shareholders in Richard Boss Group and B&E, where this is fundamental to an end-to-end proposition. And that's where the value really comes from. I think also we're talking potentially about two different scenarios. And, and, and again, without speculating too much, but, you know, if you look at CME and Abide, their genesis is, is quite different. Um, and if you look at Abide, I mean, Abide offer um, data management services um, to their customers and then decided that it would be worthwhile to apply for a TR license. And for me, You know, there were a lot of companies looking at applying for a TR license back in 2012, 2013, and most of them came to the conclusion that it would be it would be a bad idea. And this is primarily because, you know, as a TR, um, not only is there you know the prescribed uh, product scope, if you like, but also things like uh, commercial restrictions, your pricing. You you can't cross subsidise one thing with another you know a lot of these entities you know they offer multiple products they like to they like to bundle them um and um, they're able to do so because as a data management company they're not under regulatory scrutiny they're not authorized um and if you add to that as nick said you know the tr business is a is a low margin business anyway um you have to demonstrate to us whether you're cost related um, and on top of that, you carry a huge amount of reputational risk. So as a standalone business for a data company, and I guess we're all data companies, but as a standalone business, to me, it doesn't make sense. The CME situation, I think, is a little bit different because it's more like our situation where, you know, you are offering um, the service as part of, you know, a suite of pre-trade trading and post-trade services within the group. You know, and I guess there it's a question again of scale and having um, sufficient numbers of customers, you know, whether that be from your existing franchise or from commercializing externally, um, you know, to, to, to make the scale business pay. Uh, and, you know, as we've mentioned, you know, with the with all of the development costs and, 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 and the strains and so on, uh, it's very, very challenging to do that. Now, Barbara, I want to come to you here because if you're a client what do you do now um if if you you don't have a backup or a contingency in place 
Yeah, yeah. As, as you say, it is uh, really disrupting for a market participant. Uh, I guess they have two options. Either they start now searching for a, a new TR, or if any, just tries, just waits. Uh, I guess at some point in time, either CME or ESMA will need to take a decision on their behalf because I guess they still have the, the obligation to report. But it, it is definitely a big impact for them because they, they will need to adapt to a new system. Plus, we need to, of course, transfer all the uh, historical data, uh, the, the outstanding data. And, and it is uh, something that takes time for the, the technical teams and uh, for, for, for the whole industry, yes. I mean, Nick. On the biz dev side, this has got to be uh, the perfect storm for some clients, hasn't it? I mean, historical data, inputting all of that, migrating across. Is it is it feasible in the time that's allowed before uh, phase one SFTR kicks off, let alone refit and everything else? Yeah, and uh, what I would say is I'm, I can't answer that question because time will tell on that one. But certainly when you throw that into the mix, there are going to be a lot of challenges but what I will say, and um, as you would expect, this is a Regis um, podcast, so expect the shameless plug now, um, which you'd naturally expect. But we're already seeing a large number of approaches from clients um, around this, as you'd expect. And what I would say is there are a lot of considerations about porting the business across, the uploading of historic data. And what I would say is to anyone that's impacted is to look now. Now is the time to start engaging, start speaking with the TRs like ourselves. Now we do have to move on and cover some other items, but it's a you know a small space trade repository space, and we've all got good contacts and friends that we make as we move around in the industry. And so, from all of us, I think it's uh, you know a fond farewell to CME and next to Bite. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, um, you know, we've been working closely. Um, I spent a lot of time on the conference circuit over the years. Um, on panels with these guys, uh, there's some there's some great guys uh, of both organisations, and uh, yeah, just sincerely from all of us at Register, we we wish you all the best. Um, Barbara, this week, big week for you. Yeah, uh, as you said, we we're having a busy week this week, and it seems it will be very busy from now until the reporting start date. Uh, we had this implementation, uh, which included a. Uh, uh, many bags and the system is getting um, very stable now, I will say. We keep, uh, of course, uh, correcting a few things which are still um, needing some fine-tuning. But, uh, well, I, I, I know we're doing all the best, not only on registrar side, but I, I know also the clients are uh, doing a huge effort uh, to just uh, getting adapted to all this new regulation, which is um, very big, I need to say. Uh, the more you get into it, the more you realize how how huge it is. So uh, it is. It has been busy indeed. So we've been busy. Uh, our clients are busy. The market participants are busy. SFTR is busy. Everything is busy. And so is ESMA because uh, ESMA has published a new dashboard. Uh, we'll be giving a little bit more of an in-depth uh, review of that when we get our hands on it. But uh, just give us a bit of a preview, John. Yeah, well, we do have our hands on it, but my uh, my colleagues are in the process of um, doing a more detailed analysis. But ESMA published the first complete risk dashboard for 2020, and it highlights the very high risks in all areas of um, ESMA's remit. During the first quarter of 2020, 
as we know, and we discussed before, the equity markets saw large corrections due to a combination of the COVID-19 pandemic and existing valuation risks. Since then, and despite the high uncertainty and the worsening economic outlook, markets have seen a remarkable rebound. Uh, and ESMA view this in light also of massive public policy interventions in the EU and elsewhere. So the potential decoupling of the financial market performance and underlying economic activity leads ESMA to see a prolonged period of risk to institutional and retail investors of further possibly significant market corrections and very high risks across the whole of ESMA's remit. So I won't go into any more detail, um, but hopefully for next week we could get our Serena or Lara from our institutional relationship management team and or Sabina, our chief compliance officer, to um, talk with more authority than I'm able to on this subject. Okay, good. So that's an upsell. Do come back next week. Uh, as You know what? Come back every week. But especially next week if you're interested in Esma's new risk dashboard uh, because obviously – one big change I noticed is that the, the short selling bands are starting to phase out now, aren't they, as well? So we, we've seen some big changes in the market. So that's bound to you know, be playing a role in the risk calculations, the risk outcu- outlook for uh, 2020 from here on out. Good spot, Andrew. I, I, I thought you just turned up to this podcast and uh, did it off the cuff. You know, I wish I could take the credit for it. That full credit has to go to Drew Nickel, editor of Security Lending Times, who wrote an excellent piece about it this week. If you haven't read it, check it out. Okay, so that's all from us here on the Roundup this week, uh, commencing Monday, the 25th of May. I'm going to say a very fond farewell in no particular order to uh, the team here at the Roundup, starting with the nicest and most productive person, Head of Client Services, Barbara Ruiz Alonso. Goodbye, everyone, and goodbye, Andrew. Thanks again. And Head of Product uh, in Europe and Acting Chief Operations Officer uh, for the UK, John Kernan. Oh, I'm not last for a change. Bye, everyone. Have a good week. You're not last because last but never least is the voice of reason, the man who keeps us on track, keeps it sensible here in the podcast offices, and that is Nick Bruce, uh, Head of Business Development. Yeah, goodbye, everyone. Enjoy the sunshine and stay safe. So, it, have a good week. Have a safe week. We hope everything goes well. And especially to all our friends at CME and Next Abide, very fond farewell. And we will see you again soon, no doubt. Okay, everyone, have a good week. And we'll see you on the next podcast.